When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This episode is brought to you by Great Hearts Academies, a nonprofit network of K-12 public charter schools offering a rigorous classical liberal arts education grounded in the best of the Western tradition. Great Hearts operates 34 academies in Arizona and Texas, serving over 21,000 students with plans for further growth underway. Great Hearts is in search of exceptional school leaders who embrace a classical and liberal philosophy of education and who possess a well-grounded vision for the moral and intellectual formation of the human person. Learn how you can join a community of classical leaders by visiting greatheartsamerica.org slash careers. That's greatheartsamerica.org slash careers. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by, if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 48, Again and Again. Today's proverb comes from Thomas Aquinas. I'll read it twice. I fear the man of one book. Once more. I fear the man of one book. The meaning of this proverb has slowly been inverted over time. It's not a terribly common proverb. It's not one widely used and widely referenced. Although when you hear it referenced today, the meaning of it is rather opposed to the original intent. And there are several proverbs like this. Uh, Another common misunderstood proverb, the exception proves the rule, which is really taken today to mean rules have exceptions and exceptions really don't have much to do with rules. It's kind of a banal thing to say. The exception proves the rule. 
is a way of saying, I'm not really going to care about this exception all that much, or I'm not going to care about this rule that much. Whereas I believe that originally the exception proves the rule is exceptional cases could be used to refine and solidify the rules so that exceptions and their rules or rules and their exceptions have this sort of valuable integral relationship that we come to understand the rule through exceptions or the rule is established by examining exceptions whereas today I don't really know what it even means when someone says the exception proves the rule maybe it's more of a knee-jerk response that whenever the word exception comes up someone will say well the exception proves the rule I fear the man of one book. I think today, when this proverb is used, the man of one book is thought to be some sort of fanatic. Instead, the modern man believes we ought to read broadly. We ought to read many books. And we ought to read many books in order to cultivate a sort of generous, liberal view of the world. A cosmopolitan view of the world. The man of one book is a kind of hick. Uh, to be a man of one book is to be provincial. Your area of the world is so poor and you're so harried and... Uh, busy and bored by books that you've only ever taken the time to read one book. And thus I fear the man of one book because he's such a Philistine. The usage of this proverb today might even be related to that awful Augustine quote. The world is a book and the man who never travels only reads a page. A sort of quote that Instagram influencers like to use. Well, the reason why the modern man wants to read many books is so he can gain a knowledge of the experiences of other people. We don't want a knowledge of the truth. We don't want access to the truth. We want to understand the experiences of and if you take a contemporary literature class, if you take a 20th century literature class in college, you will hear over and over again this expression, understand the experiences of. And we want to understand the experiences of, I mean, especially marginalized people. Thus, the teacher of a class or the head of a book club that centers around understanding the experiences of determines which people's experiences are worth understanding in formulating the curriculum. There's no truth that is independent of the books that we read. The books are independent of the truth. They are their own truth, a kind of self-contained autonomous truth that we can only encounter through these books. And this view of truth as a kind of self-contained thing, as opposed to a transcendent thing, 
is one of the reasons why we fear the man of one book. He doesn't have much truth. The man of one book has only ever understood the experiences of one other kind of person. He has only ever experienced one self-contained truth. Because truth is not transcendent, one book cannot put you in touch with anything beyond the author. And so a book is just sort of a dead end. And so the modern man fears the man of one book because he has not traveled the world. He walked to the end of his street and then returned home. That's it. Now, I'm using the expression understand the experiences of as a bit of a euphemism because if you're to take a contemporary literature class, 20th century literature class, while the expression understand the experiences of is commonly used, you're really not even allowed to understand other people's experiences. Because each book is a self-contained truth, and because you are a self-contained truth, there is no bridge between you. In order to understand other people, you have to believe in transcendence. Transcendence is what joins two minds together. Transcendence is what makes understanding impossible. So we're not really reading other people's books to understand their experiences. We're just reading other people's books to gaze at their experiences. And because we cannot understand them, there's really nothing to say about them later. The modern reader is not at liberty to interpret or understand or converse. He just has to agree. He just has to agree with the book in front of him. We even believe that there's something arrogant about claiming to understand other people. If you read a Grace Paley collection of short stories and you get to the end and you say, well, I'm glad I understand her now. And the modern man who does not believe in transcendence will say, how dare you claim to understand her? You haven't suffered as she has. You didn't live her life. You don't understand her. And so you read a book to claim, I don't understand. But claiming that you don't understand is in itself a kind of way of deferring to the zeitgeist and proving that you're a spirited team player. Ah, yes, I don't understand. But this is not what... Aquinas meant. Aquinas meant that the man who is perfectly confident in one book is strong. The man of one book has reservoirs of courage and patience that the man of many books does not have. Now, because I want to take this as a, as a proverb, as uh, an independent saying that does not require a lot of context, I don't think that there's a necessity to say that the book Aquinas is referring to is the Bible. A proverb is a saying that sort of takes on a life of its own. A proverb is a snapshot lifted from 
a sequence of events that stands on its own. So this saying stands on its own, I fear the man of one book. The saying is not, I fear the man who reads the Bible a lot. Because even people that read the Bible are not necessarily people of one book. I fear the man of one book. It's hard to understand pre-modern reading habits and reading dispositions. Because this claim clearly comes from a time prior to the mass production of books. The book, a modern book, is very nearly a different sort of object than a book was in the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th century. I'm not even sure that we think of books the same. We don't even define, I don't know that we even define a book. I don't know that the act of reading today is the same thing that the act of reading was prior to the printing press. So let me, let me explain that by giving you an illustration. And this is an illustration that I used in my class on Dante that I'm teaching online right now. The comedy, of course, a book written well before the printing press. Imagine for a moment that you are granted the supreme privilege of traveling into the future. You travel 700 years into the future. And when you show up in the future, you have an hour to walk around. And when you show up in the future, you see many things have changed, many things are the same. And you're surprised on both accounts. Somehow you're surprised by how little and how much has changed. One of the fascinating institutions of life on Earth that has changed is clothing. And clothing works very different 700 years in the future, let's say. In the future, people only wear a garment once. And clothing is incredibly cheap. A shirt costs 12 cents. A pair of pants costs 20 cents. You can get 10 pairs of socks for a dime. Everything is unbelievably cheap. So cheap it implies some kind of very different technology that's producing clothes. But a man buys a stack of 30 shirts, wears each one once, and then the next month buys another 30 shirts. And this is just how the world works 700 years from now. Let's also say that when you discuss with people of the future their clothing, there is this profound disagreement between you and them on whether their clothing looks all that different from one garment to the next. So you insist that all their clothes look the same. Like they show you, a man from the future shows you the 30 shirts that he will wear over the next month. And you say something like, why have 30 of them if they all look the same? And he laughs at you. <laughs> you rube. These all look terribly different from one another. And he holds up two nearly identical shirts. And he insists that they could not be more different. You do not see the difference, though. And even polite people chuckle or smile at you when you say that all their clothes look alike. They are 
delighted by the dazzling variety that you can't see. You ask these people who seem to know no other practice than wearing a shirt and throwing it away, wearing a shirt and throwing it away, over and over and over again, what they think of the past, clothing practices of the past, fashion of the past. And you say, well, you know a long time ago, a man would buy a pair of jeans and wear it for a couple of years. And their response to this is, how boring. How terribly dull. And they ask almost as a kind of aphoristic question, a, question, a rhetorical question that needs no answer. Why would you wear anything twice? Why would you wear something that you've worn before? And there's no need to answer this question for them, for their values, for the hierarchy with which they judge the, the value of life. You wear something once and you get rid of it. It's not worth wearing twice. Now, of course, you've also got to imagine that if a shirt costs 12 cents and you wear it once and you throw it away, it's probably not a great shirt. It's not the sort of shirt uh, that's comfortable and long-lasting. They just have a very different interest in clothing. It doesn't make sense to craft a shirt that could last because it takes longer if a shirt is simply thrown away after it's worn for eight or nine hours. So they all wear these incredibly cheap, flimsy clothes once, and they're delighted by them, but they're delighted by them because they're new. And it seems like newness is the ultimate quality for an article of clothing to have. Not comfort, not, um, not sophistication of design, not beauty, although they all insist that their clothes are beautiful. They think that there's something dull, something very old-fashioned about wearing a pair of pants more than once. And they cannot conceive of how an article of clothing could be more enjoyable to wear more than once. It boggles their minds. Why would you wear it more than once? Nothing's as good as the first time. Now, with some, let's admit, with some clothes, the first time is the best time. There are some articles of clothing like new white sneakers are never going to be as much fun to wear as they are from the box. And really, a pair of white socks, a pair of fresh cotton socks, is never going to be more fun to wear than the first time. But there are plenty of articles of clothing that get more enjoyable to wear over the course of time, right? I mean, like, a new pair of 501s, not a whole lot of fun to wear. you got to wash it 30 times. And over the course of 30 washes, a pair of 501s kind of learns your shape. It'll, it'll contour to you. It'll, it'll meet you where you are. I mean, there's pairs of boots that are, I mean, they look good at first, but they even look good after they get a little scratched up. There are some clothes that wear well over a long period of time. They're more comfortable, they have more character, there's more variance the longer you wear them. So granted, some clothes are more fun the first time. But a lot of clothes just get more enjoyable over the long haul. And you try to explain this to people of the future. 
they cannot grasp it. And it's because they don't have categories for judging a thing apart from newness and excitement. It's exciting. Like, new things are exciting. Old things are not exciting. We can be attracted to old things, but they're not exciting the way that new things are. So what you're asking people is to consider other categories, other reasons for wearing an article of clothing, other reasons for buying an article of clothing. And you try to insist, there is this better way, actually. The longer you wear an article of clothing, if you wear an article of clothing more than once, you can develop some kind of style. You can create an image of yourself that's worth having. There are plenty of people who refine this image of clothing or that refine this image of themselves through wearing the same kind of clothes over and over again. Like Steve Jobs, Karl Lagerfeld, Tom Wolfe, Fran Lebowitz. All these people have this basically this uniform. And all those people have this kind of rich personality, too. I'm not saying they're all good people, but they are all rich characters. They're intriguing characters. I would also say that anybody who wears... like the, I mean, the people that I just named. Lee Woods, Lagerfeld, Jobs, uh, Tom Wolfe. They tend to be very brave people. Not Jobs. But Lagerfeld was willing... Ah, oh, brave is too much. I don't really mean that. They're daring people. They're willing to say things that are offensive. You watch Pretend It's a City, this new Friendly Woods documentary on Netflix. This is a person who dresses the same, and I have to connect this with her willingness to say things that people don't like. She's like a like a leftist who's willing to critique the absurdities of modernity. She doesn't think that progress is being made invariably. She's like, almost like this backwards-looking leftist. She's a paradoxical kind of figure. Lagerfeld, too. I know that he's a bit of an absurdity. If you look up Karl Lagerfeld quotes, Karl Lagerfeld was willing to say true things about beauty and ugliness that modern people don't like. And Karl Lagerfeld wore the same thing 30 years in a row kind of um, starched white high collar priestly shirt black tuxedo sunglasses and weird fingerless gloves so there's this there are these unique benefits to wearing the same thing over and over again to sinking into a uniform and knowing yourself and of course it seems like the kind of thing that you can't really do until you're older I don't know that anybody undertakes to wear the same clothing over and over again until you hit your 40s, maybe. Before your 40s, you still want excitement. Now, the, the only reason why I lapse into this long metaphor or analogy is because if we were to go back 700 years, six or 700 years, we would find a culture that read books over and over and over again, and a culture where the average man did not have access to many books. And so he read the books that he had over and over and over again. A man might only have 
four or five books. So when Aquinas says, I fear the man of one book, I guess he means more, I fear the man of one book as opposed to the man of 12. Whereas in the modern age, a man of 12 books is practically a man of one book. I fear the man of one book. I fear the man who is committed enough to some idea, to some philosopher enough, who's so deeply committed that he reads a book over and over and over again. Because the man of one book is not someone who never reads. He's actually a man who reads all the time. The man of one book is a daily reader. As I hear it, uh, Charlemagne was sort of a man of one book. City of God. I heard that he... I read that Charlemagne slept with a copy of City of God under his bed or under his pillow for latter years of his life. The man of one book has confidence in someone other than himself, which enables him to have a little bit of self-confidence as well. And that self-confidence is grounded on something. It's not spacious. It's not, I love me, I'm going to be myself. But self-confidence is justified when the self has confidence in something transcendent. And the man of one book believes in transcendence. The man of one book believes that someone has elucidated a system or a comprehensive vision of what it means to be human, and I'm going to commit myself to that person. The man of one book is not selfish. He has faith. He's not limited in his view of the world because his view of the world is grounded in a confidence in truth. Like the man of one book believes that he has found the truth. Whether he has or not is another question, but Aquinas fears the man of one book because there are certain strengths that come with being a man of one book. I mean, the, the modern man is not like this, though. Hence the analogy. I mean, the modern man has hundreds of books that he reads only once and then throws away. You walk into a Goodwill, and you're going to see scores of bestsellers, none of which were read more than once. None of those books were the one book for anyone. The sorts of books that accumulate at a Goodwill store were not worth really having confidence in. This is one of the reasons why there's really not all that many classics at a Goodwill. I mean, there's some. If you want to find a copy of Harry Potter, Celestine Prophecy, Fifty Shades of Grey, go to a Goodwill. If you want to find a copy of Aeschylus, good luck. There's no Aeschylus there. Anybody who's read Aeschylus is going to read Aeschylus again. You don't give it away. But the bestseller, I'll grant a few exceptions for J.K. Rowling. But when the, when the bestseller, you read it once, and then you read another bestseller. If you're really reading Fifty Shades of Grey, you don't like Fifty Shades of Grey. You like popular books. And there's no swifter path to unpopularity like popularity. Askel has never been popular. The man of one book 
has a harmonious vision of the world. The man of one book is constantly using his book to bring the disparate images and themes of life together in a kind of continuous whole. The man of one book can make sense of the world, or he has made sense of the world. He has a vision that is capable of incorporating new things into it, as opposed to a vision of the world that is simply overwhelmed by new things. And the man of many books is both overwhelmed and undone by the variety of the world. Whereas the man of one book can enjoy the variety of the world because he sees the unifying spirit underneath it all. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.